Welcome to The Modern Lawyer, a podcast about the changes and growth in the modern legal industry. I'm your host, Anand Upadhyay. Today on The Modern Lawyer, we're talking about how in-house counsel at one large corporation is leading the way in the legal industry. In this episode, I speak with Betty Tierney, the Group Vice President and Associate General Counsel of Macy's. Betty is an experienced executive who leads the litigation team there, both by managing outside counsel as well as handling her own cases. In our wide-ranging discussion, Betty and I cover her expectations of outside counsel, alternative fee arrangements, and diversity in the industry. We reached out to Betty to get her perspective as the leader of an in-house litigation team for a Fortune 500 company. The Macy's litigation team, led by Betty, takes on cases start to finish. Doing the lion's share of litigation work internally is rare for an in-house department. We wanted to know the strategy behind why Betty made the decision to be extremely hands-on, what benefits she expects from this, and how this decision plays into the entire legal industry. Betty, good afternoon, and a big thank you for joining us on the Modern Lawyer Podcast. Thank you. That's my pleasure. So, Betty, I want to get right into it here. Uh, I kind of want to uh, open it up to you and and uh, ask you a very intentionally broad question, and that is, how did you get into your current role leading Macy's entire litigation team? Oh, it's an interesting question, and it, it was a, an interesting route as well. I, I started out, uh, spent two years private practice here in St. Louis with a general litigation firm. I uh, had a friend who went to the Made Apartment Stores company, and they were looking for a litigator. And about the time we were looking for, or that May Company was looking for a litigator, my firm had a major transition where a lot of the MedMal team left, and that was a lot of the work that young lawyers were able to do at that time. Uh, research, motion practice, you know, depositions, that kind of thing. And, and the work that was left was work that was going to keep me, frankly, in the library most of the time. So when my friend mentioned May, or May Company, they were looking for a litigator or interviewed. It was an excellent opportunity, and within a week I had an offer and, and started working for the May Department Source Company. Uh, the May Company had a program where I worked all of the five practice areas so you could learn the retail business, which sometimes is, is pretty difficult. So I, I worked in the uh, employment area doing position char- uh, position statements in response to charges. I did uh, contracts in the operations area. I worked in the corporate area. I did real estate agreements. So I really got to know the retail industry. And while I'd initially thought I'd stay a couple of years and then move on, uh, fell in love with the practice. I was able to litigate at a very early age or experience level. Within two years of coming to the main department source company, I had an appellate argument, for example, before the Seventh Circuit. That is and incredible. That is incredible. And that, I mean, that alone is incredible. And I take it that that, you know, that Seventh Circuit appellate argument uh, wasn't in the library as you were in your previous job. Absolutely not. And it was interesting. Uh, a little story I tell, I'm not sure if I sh- should say this out loud, but my local counsel said, um, it'll be fine as long as you don't have Judge Posner or Judge Easterbrook. And it was the situation where you went in the morning of the argument and you found out who your panel was. And of course, my panel had both 
Judge Posner and Easterbrook. So right. it, it was an, it was an interesting introduction to the appellate uh, court system, and it was it was a fun argument. And um, it, that is the reason I that I stayed at the May Department Insurance Company. My total service right now is twenty six years, and it was just if you want to do the work and it's available, it, it, it's open to you and you have that opportunity. And so I stayed at May uh, until I became senior counsel in about two, the year 2000, I guess, when I was 10 years out. We were purchased by Macy's in 2005. And the general counsel at that time had always wanted to have an in-house team, litigation team. So we were kind of on probation for a couple of years. We, we did a great job. And so they kept us on. And um, eventually they were looking for the, the former GC wanted uh, a head of the litigation team who actually litigated. And I have a we're currently, even though I am the team lead and, and head of the department or the, excuse me, the practice area, um, I also have a full caseload for litigation as well. And, and here I am today. I love that story. And I take it based on what you just said, you are actually day to day as an AGC at Macy's, as the leader of this group, you are actually engaging in litigation on a day to day basis here. Absolutely. In fact, last year I had three arbitrations where I was one of two of the Macy's attorneys actually litigating the case um, across the country. And that's the other part of our, our practice is we have over 700 stores, so um, we may be practicing in California, New York, uh, Florida, and, and we obviously have to adhere to uh, the local rules with respect to ProHoc Vichy and that sort of thing, but um, it, it's a varied practice, and the, the ability to go in different jurisdictions is part of the appeal. You know, one reason I, 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 I'm so glad that you're on this podcast um, is because I think you have a, a very unique perspective as uh, an in-house litigator and the leader of an in-house litigation team at a large company. And so from that perspective, um, what in your mind needs to change in the legal industry? Um, you know, what, what, what things do you see on a day-to-day basis as not just a, a leader and an executive at Macy's, but also someone who actually has just described handles a lot of, of kind of day-to-day litigation and, um, ADR. You know, I think probably one of the biggest things that we would like to see happen, and I don't know that it ever will, is, you know, we have a lot of employment cases, a lot of um, cases brought by plaintiffs that we don't believe have a lot of merit, and, and because of the fee-shifting statutes, a lot of time you don't, at least it does not appear to me, at least, my opinion is there's not a lot of accountability by the plaintiffs. They can file a case and 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 be successful or not, and, and there's no repercussion, whereas if we lose a case, um, that's always a part of our analysis, you know, what's going to happen as far as a fee um, award, that sort of thing. So from, from the plaintiff perspective, but from the defense perspective, the other issue that, that I think we would like to see, and one of the things that I've started getting more involved in recently, are alternative fee arrangements. For years, the, the cost of uh, defense and various litigations has just gone up and up and up and up, and it, it has skyrocketed. And so alternative fee arrangements are the opportunity for us to say, look, what does this project cost? What is the value of uh, an, an answer? How much should that cost? Not the hourly rates, but an actually a per-project cost. And so we are trying to look at different ways that we can do alternative fee arrangements. and. And that, my hope is that we can decrease the cost 
uh, of defense for uh, for my clients. Yeah, you know, we've had uh, guests on this podcast who have talked about how in other industries, take management consulting, you know, you have McKinsey and Bain who provide bids for work and, um, you know, the, the standard uh, not alternative way to charge a client appears to be in this kind of bid system. We'll do uh, this whole project for X amount of money. Do you feel that that uh, that legal is trending in that way and that kind of McKinsey and Bain, we're going to bid on um, this whole litigation and provide you quotes for, as you just mentioned, the answer and for um, you know handling the litigation up to a motion for summary judgment or up to discovery? I think it's going that way, and I think it, it because of how expensive it has gotten. I think it's it's, it's the necessary response to try and, and get the cost down. Um, a lot of large firms now, when we we talk to them about what it's going to cost to represent us in a particular action, are amenable to giving us these alternative fee arrangements. And I don't see it as much in the smaller shops. I think it's harder for them to do that, but I do think it's the way to the future. Do you think that the companies uh, like Macy's, I know there was this press release from Microsoft uh, a few months ago that said that they expected all of their um, outside counsel to work on AFAs by something like 2022. Do you, do you feel like that? I mean, not particular to, to Macy's, but do you feel like that is, um, you know, it is safe to say that in the next five or so years, uh, the vast majority of work done uh, for the largest corporations in the U.S. will be AFA work? You know, I don't know if I can say vast majority, but I do think because the firms that that have that we have talked to who will do it still do the rate structure, the hourly rate. Um, but I do think that it will be in the next probably ten to fifteen years. I think you're going to see most firms doing it. It'll be a little more prolonged as far as the, the track. Got it. And, and you think it, it's due in part due to uh, you know the the small firms um, needing more control over the actual. Uh, monthly and and yearly income that they received, small shops that they are. You know, I don't know that the small firms are will like it. I don't know they can do. Well, I can't say that. I, I I guess the issue is it's more the defendants or the companies like Macy's. We want more control over our expenses. Um, some firms like it. Some firms don't like it. Um, and I think it depends on how they are set up in, internally uh, for their profit sharing and their. Um, uh, their expenses. So it really depends on the firm as much. We, my boss, for example, is a big fan of it and has um, done it for some time. And it's it's new to me, and I'm learning it. But I do like um, the the uh, what's the word? I, it, it gives us more closure on. I know exactly what my my answer is going to cost. Or if we go to summary judgment, I have a definite number. I know exactly what it's going to cost me, and so I can plan better and prepare my budget a little bit better. One of the most interesting things, uh, and this is something I've read in in interviews that you've provided, Betty, is uh, that Macy's and the Macy's litigation team handles uh, it litigation in-house start to finish. Um, and, and that is something that I've seen uh, as a theme come up over and over. Uh, and I think it's a pretty, pretty uh, special thing. And, and um, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a relatively rare thing. What do you mean when you say that that Macy's uh, handles uh, cases start to finish? Uh, you know, with respect to the in-house litigation. 
Uh, and exactly what, what, what it says. I mean, we will take a case. When I get a case, I'll assign it to one of my team members. Um, they will, we always affiliate with local council and then we will either pro hoc in or follow whatever the requirements of the jurisdiction are to, to work there. We also have lawyers that, for example, we have one lawyer who's like in New York and New Jersey. So he'll take those cases. Recently, a couple of our attorneys have taken the California bar. I'm actually going to be taking the California bar in July. So those of us who pass the bar will, in California will do to the California work, but we will interview witnesses. We will draft the, the answer. We will defend the depositions. We'll draft the summary judgment motion. If the case goes to trial or arbitration, um, we will actually be one of the trial lawyers, if not the only trial lawyers. Um, we have had, in fact, I just got a notice today that one of my attorneys was on a case that was appealed to the 11th Circuit. So she'll be handling the appeal. She'll draft the appeal. Oh, she'll get admitted to the circuit, first of all, and then she'll draft the appeal, and then she'll actually do the oral argument if it goes that far. And I can so, imagine that this makes uh, the Macy's litigation team a very, very attractive place for attorneys to work. And I could say this as a former litigator. You know, and it really depends. I mean, we've had people who... Um, I guess it's if you really want to litigate, and, and as you just said, as a as a former litigator, um, there's a lot of travel involved, and so it's it's um, it's not an easy job. You have to to litigate on the road many times, and you have to really want to do the job and really want to litigate. Right now, I have a team that um, I think they're all terrific litigators, and they they enjoy the job, they enjoy the challenge of the job, and so that's what makes the team work. Does your experience actually doing the litigation, actually trying the cases, um, you know, supervising the the, the writing and, and, and research, does that make you a better uh, kind of manager of outside counsel? You know, I think it does because we know what it takes to do an answer or do a summary judgment motion. So if we are getting bills that don't reflect what we think we should be paying, it gives us some credibility with our outside counsel when we talk to them and say, look, you know, you spent 40 hours on a summary judgment. This is a really a one issue case should have been done for X dollars. It, it gives us a lot of credibility and we know what we're talking about when we, we, we have to challenge those kinds of issues. I want to read you a, um, a, a quote from uh, one of one of your employees named Brian Parsons from an interview in which uh, this is an interview actually from Corporate Counsel magazine. And uh, Brian says the following. We don't have the same requirements in terms of developing business and keeping track of time, so we can devote more time to the actual practice of law and litigating, Brian Parsons says, of his time at Macy's versus his time in private practice. I frankly am getting more litigation experience than I could get at most firms, especially with my number of years out. Is that a kind of a common experience uh, in the Macy's in-house team? Yes, and it started, for example, um, and my example of the Seventh Circuit argument, uh, we have people at, at um, seven, eight years handling class actions. We want to challenge our people because once they, well, we want to challenge them because we want to develop them to be senior counsel and to be in charge of major litigations for the company. Um, and if you are willing to take on the responsibility and want the challenge, then we will give it to you. Um, one of the things I pride myself on, I think that we don't leave the team out there, you know, on their own. They will always have support with the senior counsel 
who will work with them. A lot of times I will have somebody, if they're doing a, a class action and they've never done it before, I may have another senior counsel work on it as a second with them. So they still get the responsibility and the, the weight of being uh, in charge of a major litigation, but have the safety valve of having somebody who's also done it on the team with them who can support them as needed. And that way we can give the, these opportunities to lawyers at a younger experience level or lesser experience level um, and, and have them be successful. And that obviously is the objective of the whole team. Aside from the financial reasons to bring more Macy's legal work in-house, Betty sees the emergence of new technologies creating new opportunities for her team to be efficient and effective. This technology benefits large litigation teams like Macy's and reduces the need to rely heavily on outside counsel. I want to shift gears here uh, to a, a, another topic, and that is legal technology. Um, I, I want to get your sense um, from an in-house executive's perspective. Uh, what is your take on how legal technology uh, will change the industry in the next 10 years based on what you've seen so far? one of the things that I think is going to happen, especially with a team like mine that travels so much, is we are starting to see more depositions, more interviews by Skype or Zoom or other type of um, online or electronic media. And we're starting to see arbitrators who allow it more. And I haven't had it in a trial yet, but I suspect we're getting there where we will be able to litigate across large distances without leaving the comfort of our offices. And it'll be just like we're in the courtroom or in the arbitration. And, and, and our witnesses can be one place. Um, the arbitration can be another and, and we can be in another place. And I think that's where technology is going. Um, I think it's going to be beneficial to um, give people, I mean, because travel is such a wearing experience in many ways. And, and we can do our jobs in St. Louis, even though we may have to do it in California, New York, Florida, et cetera. And that's really what I, where I hope it goes and where we are starting to see it go. Have you, uh, do you hold your outside counsel to a higher standard, um, you know, nowadays with respect to uh, their technical proficiencies, the technology that they use to uh, handle their representation of Macy's? Uh, et cetera. I mean, is that something that, that, um, you know, where the bar keeps, keeps, uh, uh, going up or is it something that you're kind of hands off about as an in-house exec? You know, only, I think the only thing we really focus on, of course, is privacy and making sure that there's the records and, and, and files and stuff are may, maintained confidentially and privately. But other than that, really not, we really look more to our service providers, such as our court reporters, or if we use a company to uh, that does third-party databases, if we have a large number of documents for a case, we probably are a little bit more demanding of those service providers just because the nature of, of what they're doing for us and, and uh, the concerns we have about confidentiality and privacy. Those are the biggest issues for us. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, well, I want to uh, conclude here with one last question here, Betty. Um, and that is, and I always ask this question to kind of end uh, on a high note. Uh, and that is, what are the most encouraging trends you're seeing across the, the practice of law and the legal industry and legal technology? And that's kind of an intentionally broad question. You know, and, and there's, and I think a lot of it we've already talked about, Anand, is 
Um, the more flexibility that we're going to get in our practice through um, videos and Skype and Zoom and these other visual technologies that will allow us to practice across long distances without the uh, the travel where we can still have our, our lives where we actually practice and still be able to practice across the country. Um, increased arbitration to hopefully um, – which will allow us to get to a resolution quicker and hopefully um, fairly for everybody. Um, anything else? I think those are the big things for me that are that are pretty pressing for my for my practice. Um, one of the things that's interesting that when you did your presentation to my group the other day, you said something that I and I agree wholeheartedly with was about AI, and that AI is never going to replace the human aspect in the law, because I think there's so many human factors as far as, you know, evaluating uh, credibility or using your intuition as to whether or not someone's telling you the truth or is there something more you need to pursue and those kinds of things, which hey, I'll be able to do a lot of things, but that human aspect of our practice, I, I don't think will ever go away and nor will it change significantly from where we are right now. But Macy still relies on high-quality outside counsel as the executive who manages the relationships with some of the largest firms in the United States. Betty offered up some great advice for firms to possibly gain more business from Macy's in the long run. I want to shift gears uh, again here, uh, as I as I uh, discuss with you, um, you know, a lot of our listeners, uh, you know, uh, of this podcast are attorneys at large firms and um, chief knowledge officers and knowledge management folks at large firms. Uh, from your perspective as in their eyes, you know, the client, um, but as a litigation executive at Macy's, uh, what what do you think their takeaway should be uh, from our discussion? If you could kind of broadcast something to the outside counsel of the world or of the country, what would it be? I think the, the biggest thing to the outside counsel would be to always keep the communication open. Um, if you're unsure about what your client wants, ask them. Don't make assumptions. And if your client is telling you that something's too expensive or they don't like something, there needs to be more communication. There's something that's not getting through either to you or to your client. And to me, the biggest thing between outside counsel and in-house um, counsel and in-house clients is that there has to be open and honest communication and not focused on um, trying to prove that you're the super lawyer for Los Angeles for five years in a row, but <laughs> tell me what you can do or why you're doing it and why it's important to me. So communication. This podcast is about rapid change in the legal industry. One of the key sources of this rapid change is the increased diversity in the profession. Over the next few minutes, Betty and I discuss cultural change and efforts towards inclusion in the legal industry. Betty sees the rise of women in the law, as well as the Me Too movement, as encouraging signs of progress and change in the profession. Here, Betty has some interesting stories of her experiences and advice for young attorneys. So we've covered this, um, it, you know, kind of, kind of tangentially. But I want to ask you the same question I just asked you with respect to legal technology. It, from uh, um, 
you know, as applied to the legal industry as a whole. Um, so from your perspective as, uh, as an in-house litigation executive at Macy's, how do you think the legal industry as a whole uh, will change in the next uh, 10 years or so? Well, I do think that, and we talked a little bit about, you know, how defense counsel are billing. I think we're going to see right. the billing process change to the, the alternative fee arrangements. Um, I, I think that we're going to see um, increased arbitration. Right now, we're waiting on the Supreme Court to rule on Murphy Oil and some of the other arbitration cases that are up before the, the high court. And so we're waiting to see that, and I'm hoping that that will help um, keep arbitration in the fore and that it'll be continue to be enforced and, and a useful tool in litigation, not only for defendants, but I think it's also very useful for the plaintiffs as well. And then one of the other things um, that we have talked a little, or that I have thought a little bit about is, is the Me Too movement. And I'm not really sure how that is going to affect legal. And we haven't really had a lot of press or seen a lot of um, overt changes yet uh, in the profession with respect to this movement. But I am very hopeful as a woman in the industry and as a mother of a daughter that um, not only the legal industry, but, but um, you know, jobs in general, that it's going to be better for women as far as more opportunity, that women are going to get a stronger voice in the law. We're going to see more women in, in um, heading up large firms and that sort of thing. And so that's, that's another hope that I'm uh, convinced we're going to see based on the Me Too movement. And, and speaking of the Me Too movement as applied to law, have you seen major strides in that direction over the course of your career? Well, I will tell you a story. One of the first times I appeared in court, um, a very senior judge called me honey. And so I haven't had that experience recently. And I think because I'm, I'm not as sweet as I was maybe when I first started. But um, I think over the 26 years I've been practicing, I've gone from being honey as a young associate to my boss putting me in head at the head of the litigation team. So women have come a long way in 25 years in the legal industry. And uh, I think we still have a ways to go. But um, yes, I think I've seen significant strides in the last 25, 26 years. Betty, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, but you know, what, um, what advice can you give to a, to, to yourself uh, as that uh, young associate, uh, you know, in the, uh, you know, in the year where that judge called you honey and to all of the young associates who are women who are coming out of law school now and getting their first jobs in, you know, from your perspective as the leader of the litigation group at Macy's, what advice would you give them? I think that um, you have to not be afraid to stand up for yourself. And I think as when I came out uh, into practice 26 years ago, you know, I didn't say anything to the judge when he said that. Now I would say something. Uh, and I'm in a different position. But I think that young women across um, the industry have to be willing to, to take risks, stand up for themselves, and make sure that their voice is heard. I think that's the biggest piece of it. Betty, big thanks to you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with us about the legal industry, rapid change in the legal industry, and where all of this is going. Um, looking forward to, to staying in touch, and a big thank you again. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you. Reach out to me at onan at casetext.com, tweet at us with the hashtag Modern Lawyer, and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon. 